Grace and mercy and peace be to you from our God and Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It's a rather familiar story of Mary and Martha, and it begins at uh, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So far, our scripture reading. This is week three of our message series, Start Here. We've been talking about how to kind of push the reset button in our life. In week number one, uh, we talked about how starting again in any area of life is kind of a matter of pushing out into the deep and casting your net again and again until the Lord fills it to overflowing. So if you want to kind of create some lasting change in your life, you have to have the courage to try one more time. Last week, we talked about how starting over means you close the door. In fact, it's almost better if you just slam the door, lock it, throw away the key on that part of the past that you're ready to leave behind and to start that new grace-filled life with Jesus. You make the decisions you need to make, You break the ties you need to break, and you take the steps that you need to take. Well, today is uh, really about getting first things first. It's a very familiar story. No doubt you've heard it many times in your life. You've been a Christ follower for a long time. It's the story about how Jesus uh, visits the home of a couple of friends in a little town called Bethany. And during his visit, uh, two very important things were taking place, but at least according to Jesus, one was more important than the other. Now, the two sisters we know as Mary and Martha, they also had a brother, Lazarus. You probably remember him, the one that was raised from the dead by Jesus. Now, while it doesn't necessarily say it in the scriptures, we can kind of infer from the gospel narratives that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were really very good friends of Jesus. Uh, he liked to visit them on occasion and probably used their house from time to time since it was pretty close to Jerusalem for a place of R&R. Now, clearly, back in the days of Jesus, it's a little bit different than it is today. Uh, but having a guest in your house in Palestine is very special. In the first century, Uh, Such a guest might possibly arrive unannounced. After all, they didn't have cell phones. They were not connected by text. They didn't Facebook you a message or anything like that. And it's not likely that they would even be able to send a message ahead. So hospitality was a really big thing. So hospitality dictated that you received whoever showed up at your door with honor. You either let them wash their feet or you had a servant who would wash their feet. You would always give them a place to rest. You would always prepare a meal. And believe it or not, you'd invite the rest of your neighbors over uh, to visit as well. Now, I want you to imagine that this guest does not show up alone. 
he shows up with 12 of his very good friends. Imagine how that would be. You suddenly open your door and there are 13 people showing up at your house unannounced. And they say, do you mind if we come in and hang out for a couple of days? And imagine that this is not just any guest. It's not your Uncle Herb or your Aunt Barbara. It's Jesus. You're thrilled that he's there. You're kind of thrilled that he brought along the disciples. But you got a lot of stuff to do in a very short period of time. Now, just think about how you'd want everything to be perfect, because after all, it is Jesus who's coming through your front door. I'm sure that's what was going on in Martha's mind. She's probably scrambling everywhere to get everything done. You know, scrambling to get the food prepared and scrambling to get, you know, if there were guest rooms and stuff like that available. It was no doubt a very hectic and a very stressful situation for her. And the problem is compounded by the fact that her sister, remember her? Her sister, who should probably be doing half of what needs to be done, was nowhere to be found. And you could almost picture Martha scurrying around trying to figure out where she is. I mean, where in the world could she possibly be? Well, Martha probably got out into the courtyard uh, where a lot of people would socialize with their guests outside this house in kind of the open air. And there sits Jesus, like any good rabbi, and his disciples, and probably a number of other people from the community uh, who had come to hear him teach in an informal gathering were there. Uh, Maybe 20, 25 people there, all men, almost. Sitting in the front row was Mary. Now, I understand this is kind of uncommon in that day to have a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi, but there she was. Her eyes were fixed firmly on Jesus, hanging on every word that he spoke. And when Martha saw this, she lost it. This was just too much. And she interrupts Jesus, maybe even mid-sentence, and she said, uh, excuse me, Jesus, I'm going to let you finish, but don't you care? My, my sister kind of left me to do this all by myself. Could you tell her to help me? Now, I don't think that's the way she said it. Now, we don't, I'd love to have recordings and videotapes of this, but I think since she'd probably just come out of the kitchen, I could just imagine her standing there and saying, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Wow, can you imagine that response? But, you know, it's pretty easy to slip into the martyr syndrome, isn't it? You ever had one of those personal pity parties where you kind of sing that song, poor, poor, pitiful me to yourself? And you suddenly start telling everybody else in the world, everybody who will listen to you, that you're the only one who ever does anything. You're the only one who really cares. You're the only one. It's always on you. Now, I'm going to make a confession here. Every pastor I know. Every pastor I know struggles with this from time to time, and some of them struggle with it most of the time. Now, I'm talking about the feeling that can come to a pastor that the ministry, the local churches, like all on you, 
that if you don't do it, it won't get done, and probably no one will care. And if they do care, the only reason they're going to say something is because they want to crab and complain about how you don't do it up to their expectations. Now, I have said, and again, I'll admit to you, I have, I have said things similar to Martha. In my quiet time and in my head, I've said, God, don't you care that I work harder than everyone else for less than everybody else. So everybody can kind of enjoy what goes on. And I have to sometimes ask twice for a simple thank you. I mean, come on, God, don't you care? Now, I want to make something very clear here. I didn't say that it's right to feel this way. I don't want you to walk away and say that's, that's the good way to feel. No, it's not. I'm just telling you, I have felt that way. And I think you would be lying if you said you never had. Just my opinion. But every pastor I know, every professional church worker I know has had this feeling. Every leader has had this feeling. Every parent has probably had this feeling. Every boss has probably had this feeling. And a whole lot of employees have probably had this feeling. It's the martyr syndrome. The poor, poor, pitiful me syndrome. You know, when I start feeling that way, I can kind of sense when it's coming on. It usually means there's something wrong with my approach and my list of priorities and, yes, with my attitude. Now, Martha, let's get back to Martha. Martha was doing some things that needed to be done. Obviously, when you got 13 people show up at your door and you invite the neighbors over, uh, they need something to eat, they need a place to sit, they need a place to rest. It's not like she was wasting her time. Don't get that idea at all. But listen to what Jesus says to her again in verse 41. He said, Martha, Martha. Do you ever wonder why he said that name twice? I've always wondered every time I, I, I read that. And the reason I wonder is that virtually every manuscript in those days was written out by hand on a limited space on a scroll. So you can be sure that every word in the Gospels was meticulously chosen for maximum effect. So a scroll was so long, and in the case of like uh, Luke, it takes up an entire scroll. So I find it kind of really interesting that in this, con- this conversation, Luke makes it a point to let us know that Jesus said her name twice. He said, Martha, Martha. And every time I read this story, I stop for a moment and I think about that. I mean, saying her name twice is almost code for, you just don't get it, do you? And i got to be honest again with you that every time I find myself in a poor, poor, pitiful me state of mind, I can hear Jesus say, Barry, Barry, you just don't get it, do you? See, he said Mary's name twice, and then he goes on to say again, you are worried and upset about so many things. I mean, you're not catching on here, Martha. But he said only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I think when he said only one thing is needed, he was not saying, don't worry about cleaning. He's not saying, don't worry about preparing a meal or taking care of your guests, because that's not important. He's saying, only one thing really matters at this point in time, and that one thing supersedes everything else that's taking place. Now, what is that one thing? It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's spending time in the presence 
of your Savior. You know, there are a lot of important lessons that you can learn from Scripture, that's for sure. There's a very key one in here as well. And it's, if you can assimilate this spiritual truth into your daily walk, you, it helps revitalize your spiritual life. And it revitalizes that relationship with your walk with God. And I believe that it also revitalizes relationships you have with other people and the way you pursue life's purpose. And here's this lesson to learn. Jesus wants to be loved before he wants to be served. See, before you do anything for God publicly, he first wants to fellowship with you privately. I think about the number of times when people have just started off on a project without ever sitting down and spending time with God first, praying about it, consulting God, asking God if this is really what they should do. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, Martha, Martha, don't get the house ready. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, Martha, I just got here for heaven's sakes. I mean, let the details sit for just a few minutes. I mean, worry about the meal later. I mean, worry about getting the sheets on the bed a little bit later. I mean, sit down with me. Let's, let's enjoy company. See, that's a good lesson for every Christ follower to learn. First things first. Before you do anything else, get along with God. I probably should have chosen the song today, you know, with the Lord begin thy task. Jesus will direct it. See, he wants your companionship before he wants your service. Before you you start serving, get in fellowship with him privately. I think that little principle, the first things first, works in your spiritual life. It also works in other relationships. So I just want to give you a few tests this morning. You didn't know you were going to get a test when you came today, but there are three tests here. And the very first one of these I would call the stress test. I think stress is a pretty good indicator of when your priorities are all out of balance. I mean, if you always feel overwhelmed and overloaded, it's probably a pretty good indication that you've got some things on your plate that probably don't belong there. See, Jesus never said, I can't find this in the Bible where Jesus said, I have come to give you a life of turmoil. No, he says, I have come to give you a life of peace. Jesus never said, I I came to give you a life of endless frustration. Uh, He said, no, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Jesus never said, I am going to give you more than you can possibly get done every day of your life for the rest of your life. Rather, he says what? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In me, you will find rest. Now, I would suggest to you that, friends, if you are running full speed ahead all day, every day, and you're constantly behind in everything you do, not just spiritually, but let's say personally, you've got some things on your schedule that probably shouldn't be there. And again, I'm going to tell you, I speak from experience. There are many times in my ministry that I found myself in this position, somewhat completely overloaded. Feeling like I'm the only one, you know, in the kitchen, not really in the kitchen, but in the workplace to get things ready while everybody else is kind of socializing out in the courtyard, uh, kind of working with one deadline with another one kind of hanging over your head and not nearly enough hours in the day to get them all done. And my typical response when I find myself in that situation is probably just like yours. It's to put in more hours. I tell myself these long days are only temporary. I'm just going to work 24 hours a day for a week or two. 
at least until I get all caught up. The problem is, uh, if you've got things on your plate that shouldn't be there, you probably never ever get caught up. Instead, when you do too much work or you put in too much time, your efficiency bottoms out, the quality of your work suffers, and you're typically too tired to tell. How many of you put together a, a to-do list? Anybody write to-do list? How many of you do a to-don't list? I have to-don't list. This is stuff I'm not going to to-don't. <laughs> I'm not doing <laughs> Sometimes I, I write down four or five things that I'm going to do, and I just say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this one. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about have, not having a busy day here or there. I'm talking about the pattern of always living your life behind and always being stressed about it. And I will bet that there are many of you that are so stressed and so worked that at the end of the day you say, man, I didn't even get a chance to get around to my Bible reading today. I didn't get a chance to do my quiet time with God, and now I'm so tired. I didn't even pray today. I didn't even begin my task in the Lord's name. So you kind of need to stop yourself. As you start asking yourself, what needs to go? What needs to change? What needs to stop? But here's the second thing. It's the priority test. Jesus said to Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. I think what he was saying to Martha in a very gentle way, and it's something he says to all of us. I mean, Scripture indeed speaks to us. He's saying, you know, friend, it's kind of time for a priority check. I mean, what matters most, setting a perfect table or spending time with Jesus? I was at a conference a long time ago, and I can't remember who who was speaking, but uh, the guy demonstrated this, and I've actually used this in the classroom on a couple of occasions. Maybe you've seen this before. Uh, He had uh, uh, an empty, wide-mouth gallon jar sitting up on the table, and he put in as many rocks as he possibly could into that jar, and when he was all done, he asked, is the container full? And everybody kind of, well, yeah, it's full of rocks. Well, then he picked up some gravel and began to pour the gravel in and shook it a little bit. And next thing you know, all the gravel was in there. And he said, well, now is it full? And, you know, by this time, everybody kind of caught on a little bit and was like, you know, probably not. And then, of course, he poured sand in it. And he says, well, now is it full? And by this time, everybody said, no. And they were right, because then he picked up a, uh, a pitcher full of water and poured the water in there. And then he asked this question, what's the point here? What's the point of what I just did? Well, someone said, well, this is one of the answers. Well, there are gaps in your life, but if you really work hard at it, you can always fit more into it. And I remember him just saying, Wrong. That's not the point. You know, Quentin, you had it right. The point is this. If you hadn't put those big rocks in first, you'd have never gotten them in. He is saying, make sure you do the big stuff first. The one thing. Now, when I'm out of balance, my approach is often the opposite. I tend to do the nagging little things first. Trying to get them out of the way so I can focus on job number one. The problem is sometimes those nagging little details always seem to take more time than you ever thought, and the truth is most of them could probably wait. Uh, The things in life that are most important can't. You know, that's like you're expecting a very important email, 
And so when you first wake up, you dash into your office, and the very first thing you do is turn on that computer. And reading that email leads to doing what? Checking Facebook. And then checking the sports scores. And then reading the news and wherever else it takes you. A couple of new songs on YouTube. And and the next thing you know, uh, you've forgotten what? With the Lord, begin thy task. Jesus will direct it. With the Lord, begin your task. He will perfect it. There's a story told about Charles Schwab. He's a steel tycoon, not the discount broker. And uh, a consultant by the name of Ivy Lee. And the story goes that Schwab came to Lee for advice on how to increase his productivity and profitability. And Lee's advice was pretty simple. He said, each day, write down the five most important tasks for you to do today, and then do each task one by one. Start with number one, and don't go on to number two until one is done. And... Ivy Lee told Schwab he was not going to invoice him for that advice, but he said, you try it for a while, and then you pay me what you think it's worth. Well, six weeks later, Schwab sent him a check for $25,000 in a note that said, this was the most practical lesson I've ever learned. Now, he could have learned that from the Bible, too, first things first. Martha, Martha, you're so worried about so much stuff. There's only one thing that's really important. That's why I encourage people all the time, put your devotional time first in the morning before you do anything else. Now, I know a lot of you got butts already. But you don't have to get kids ready for school. You're right. I could get up earlier, though, couldn't I? How can I possibly have a quiet time when I got all this noise going on in the house? Uh, I just remember, was it uh, Charles, Wesley, Charles Wesley's mother uh, used to have her quiet time. She had like 16 kids, and she used to put a chair in the middle of the living room and then pull her apron up over her head. And the kids knew that when Mama had the apron over her head, it was her quiet time. You didn't bother her. I think people know you're having a quiet time. They're not going to bother you. See, if exercise is important to you, do that second. Do a priority test. Make sure you got the big rocks. Your relationship with God. Your relationship with your family. Get those in there first. The third thing is the, what I call a reward test. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, do you know how to determine your priorities in life? You base it on what's going to last the longest. What's going to ultimately give you the biggest payoff. Now, I want you to think for a moment. What is it that you do that would ultimately have the biggest payoff? Would it not be your relationship with Christ? I think that's the biggest payoff. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come inherit your father's kingdom. That's a pretty big payoff. But in relationships, there's some things, too. I, I read a kind of a funny story uh, this last week. I resonated with it a little until I kind of got the point. But I'm going to read it to you. Uh, this man wrote this story. I came home from work yesterday and saw the most amazing thing. I pulled into the garage and came into the house, and the first thing I did was step on a huge pile of laundry on the floor. I stepped all over it, walked into the kitchen, and I saw a huge stack of dishes in the sink. 
When I went into the living room, I found my wife sitting on the floor wearing sweatpants and my cowboy's jersey with couch pillows for shoulder pads and black stripes under her eyes. My four-year-old son was on her lap wearing his sweatpants and a cowboy jersey and fake shoulder pads and eye black, and they were looking at a book. She said, oh, hi, honey. Sorry about the mess. We just had a football game, and now we're reading a story. I'm not used to this, he said. Growing up, our house was always spotless. But if I ever wanted my parents' attention, Dad was always busy in the garage, and Mom was always busy in the kitchen, and it was up to me to entertain myself. And then he ended his story this way. Thank God I married someone who can leave dishes in the sink while she plays with our son. See, I think this wife was, you know, had a godly relationship. I read this in the Christian Journal, so I'm assuming she had a godly relationship already. But she also was investing something into her son that would last also an entire lifetime. She got to pass the rewards test. She understood what really matters. Now, obviously, at some point, uh, I don't want anybody going home and say, well, Pastor said this morning you don't need to do the wash or do the dishes. I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Obviously, at some point, you do need to do the dishes, you do need to do the laundry, you do need to get the lawn mowed, you need, do need to change the oil in the car, put gas in the tank. It needs to be done sometime. So when do you do it? You do it after you've done what really matters. You start with God, with the Lord, begin your task. And then move on to the other things that will pay bigger dividends. You know, I have no doubt when I read that story that every little boy and every little girl in the world would probably say they'd rather play a game with mom or dad than have a clean kitchen. And that's because our relationship with God and our relationships with others kind of all work by the same rule, love first, serve second. I'm just saying today, friends, that if you're overwhelmed to the point you kind of need to hit the reset button in your life, you can do it. But you're just going to keep getting locked up if you just don't do it. Open up your apps in the correct order. To keep your life moving in the right direction, you need to nail down the question of first things first. Now, in your spiritual life, that ought to be easy for us to determine. Jesus wants you to serve him. There's no question about that. But he wants you to serve him after you fellowship with him, after you spend time in his presence. I mean, so the rule for living a life in God is now and will always be love first and serve second. And I'd say the same thing applies to your marriage, to your children, and every other relationship. Love first, serve second. I think it's a good habit to sit down and sit still in the presence of Jesus every day of your life. Now, I don't know what that all involves. I've mentioned that I can look out on the sun porch and see Nancy doing her weekly devotions. Uh, I know that... You know, I sit sometimes, it probably looks like I'm fast asleep at my desk, but I'll be sitting there with, like this. It is not that I have a headache or anything. It's just that I'm, I'm thinking. I'm starting to spend, trying to spend a little bit of quiet time to begin with. Spending that time in prayer. Spending that time praying. Spending that time digging back into the Word. Fellowshipping with Him every day. And if you put that at the top of your list, I think you're going to find that the order of the other things in life just fall into place. Love first, serve second. I think there's a great Bible passage that ought to stick in the back of our minds. It's one you all know, John 3:16. It starts out and it says, God so loved. 
He was the first one to love. It's like, while we were still sinners, God sent his son. God loved. And then he served us by doing what? By giving us his son. And his son served us all the way to the cross, the grave, and beyond. He's given us a great witness, a great way to follow. May we all do so. In Jesus' name, amen.